<laughs> Come on, let's all stand together, shall we? As our campuses join us in Stevens Point and Appleton this morning. Good morning, you guys. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us today at Celebration Church. Trust your services have been meaningful. There's different campuses. Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit uh, about our Transition One program. Uh, you remember some months ago, we were talking, even last year, about our desire to start uh, a one-year transition program uh, for young people that you stick in between their last year of high school and their first year of college or whatever career path that they happen to take. The reason for this, and more and more of these programs are popping up around the country, is because it is becoming, well, it's been painfully clear for quite some time that the, uh, what is happening to our young people is, is not good. Virtually every study has shown, I don't know how accurate they are, but when you get all of them saying it, there's something going on, but as many as say that as high as 80% of our young people, and I'm talking about our young people that come through churches like ours, give up totally on their faith by the second year in college. And that's pretty pathetic, and that's really sad. And clearly, we are not doing the right things. Now, we've tried to adjust uh, fundamentally the way that we approach teaching our young people, for example, at our church here, it made some people upset when we started switching it, but you know, we used to have this incredible, fun program for teenagers, and it was a wild party celebrating supposedly Jesus uh, on Wednesday nights, but it was turning into quite a disaster, and the results weren't good, because just having a lot of fun and playing games and you know, having hot dog eating contests all the time, stuff like that, isn't really teaching young people about faith. I'm sure you can understand that. The parents loved it because it kept their kids quiet, right? And they wanted to go. <laughs> of course they wanted to go. It was like a big party. Whee! You know, so when we started realizing this is not working and the results we saw were bad, we started changing and tried to get our kids more serious about their faith. And we quit teaching, treating our young people as adolescents. From a faith perspective, we reject the concept of adolescence. This idea that there's this, you're, chi you're a child, you're an adult, and in between is this squishy adolescent period, which from a faith perspective, we reject. I reject it from almost every perspective, but that's what we do. Uh, adolescence, this idea of adolescence, really only exists in Western culture and didn't even exist until about the 30s or 40s, even the 50s, when we started carving out this special space. And of course, historically, you look what happened when we started doing that is if you give young people permission to not grow up, they won't grow up. And they will act very foolishly and irresponsibly and get themselves in all kinds of trouble. 
not only has our culture introduced the idea of adolescence, but they've extended it now. Uh, Psychology Today, uh, in an article, said, we now believe adolescence ends at 32. So what are we having? We're having young people in their 20s that just are irresponsible nitwits. Uh, And even Christians who grow up and they're still treated the same way, and the church is treated in the same way. We reject that. We believe that when you are turning into your teens, you are now a young man or a young woman. So you say, where do you get that from? You know, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, that famous love chapter, where Paul says, when I was a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. Do you know how old he was when he did that? 13. Okay? That's what his version of becoming a man, that's what Jewish tradition, bar mitzvahs, they're no longer children, they are now adults. Young adults will grant that and need special attention as young adults, but we reject this idea of this squishy nonsense. Uh, Anyway, as a result of what I think are very weak youth programs, uh, then taking the kids and just plunging them into universities in a panic, in a hurry, to make sure they make as much money as possible and consumed about the cares of this life, and it's just our our, our foundation has been wrong, and it's been weak, and the results show it. So many uh, organizations around the country are introducing this transition uh, one-year program. We are starting that next fall. And what it is, it's a one-year program to help young Christian men and women transition from living off their parents' faith to standing on their own faith. Okay? And that's the point of it. You say, well, I got to quick get my kids off to college. No, you don't. Slow down. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He was speaking specifically about what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? He says, slow down. Seek first God's kingdom. Put God first in your life. And he says, I will make sure all of these things are added into your life. But when we make the number one priority of our young people to quit go off and make sure they make as much money as possible in this world, it is a weak foundation. Not to mention that sending your kids off to most universities is like sending them into the lion's den. (laughs) Okay. And again, a lot of these kids have just been under the shadow of their parents' faith, never really had to stand on their own. The numbers bear it out. We're not doing well. Our plan and the plan of many organizations around the country is to slow down, give them a one-year transition program where you get a chance for them to really slow down, focus, reflect. I mean, a lot of kids are going to college right now. They don't even know what they want to do. And it's insane. Why y'all spend that kind of money? I have no idea. I know Christians are the worst because we almost exclusively want to send them to Christian colleges, which costs us like $30,000, $35,000 a year. Sending a kid to school who has no idea what he wants to be at that kind of a tick. Number one, it's draining all of your resources or they are falling into debt up to their eyeballs. Young people today are graduating from college with an average of $100,000 in debt. That millstone is tied around their neck. There's a trillion dollars plus of this debt floating around our country. At some point, this is going to hit the fan and it's not going to be pretty. How about get them to slow down a bit, focus, grow, mature a little bit, and find out what they really want to do with their lives and not be in such a hurry to get there. Um, Here's a chance for them to put God first in their lives, to learn, and to serve. Now, the program will be here. The first few months of it will be held at the church here. Pastor Joe's been building this program. We're continuing to work on it and fine-tuning it as we get into the fall. And they'll have daily classes and stuff like that, kind of like a university situation, but obviously a whole different environment, and the focus will be totally different. Our goal will be teaching them how to live life. Now, it's not just going to be a Bible college. This isn't Bible college. We will teach them things about the Bible, 
But we're going to show them about wisdom, how to make decisions in their life, how to choose a career, how to choose a mate for life, how to be successful with money, how to be a good leader, how to be a good servant in the kingdom of God, okay? And then the last four months of the program, when I say year, it doesn't last a year, I'm talking like one year of school, nine months. But the last four months of it, they will be going on an extended missions trip, going to help and serve South America, or Pastor Joe will tell you some different places. These are people that we know, uh, South Africa, uh, uh, that we've worked with some of these guys for years. Great places. They're safe places for your kids to go, but a chance for them to go and to serve and to see how the rest of the world actually lives. It is quite insightful. Any adult who has done this finds this quite stunning. And from time to time, we do small, short-term missions trips. And even as adults, I encourage you, find a way to take off some time and go on one of these trips yourselves. It is quite life-changing. You'll never be the same. Anybody who does it will tell you, it's never the same. It changes you. Now, a lot of young people do these short-term missions trips where, you know, for seven days, but again, again, it's more like a, you know, trip to Washington with your high school band. It's not enough to get. So this is more like four months where you actually live with these people and work with these people and learn the culture and See what it is for people who don't have the advantages that you have. I promise you, at the end of this, that year, your kids will come home and that summer, their lives will be changed. They will have a degree of maturity and focus that they did not have before. Not that it's your fault or the church's fault. It's just to do this right, you really need to slow down and focus. And that's going to be the goal of the program. Now, I just want you to know, this is not a reform school for juvenile delinquents. And I mean this in all sincerity. If you have a kid who's getting drunk and partying and getting high and getting in trouble with the law, say, I'm going to send you that one-year program at church. No, you're not. We don't want them. Uh, we love them from a distance, but we are not going to put them in this program. That's not what this program is for. It's not to s- straighten out screwed up people. Okay? There are programs to help straighten out screwed up people. We'll point you in that direction. All right? But this is for people, young people, Christian young people who take their faith seriously quite frankly. Okay, that's what it's for. And hopefully, it'll be a time. Again, a transition. You slow down. You know who's much better at this than traditional evangelical Christians are Mormons. You know, Mormons require all of their young people to do two years of missions. Two years! This we're stretching your heads just around trying to get you to do for four months. Oh, no! Uh, seriously? We need to put first the kingdom of God. We wonder why people are constantly chasing God to get them out of a mess in life. Have you noticed this? I don't know if you know. I've noticed it as a pastor. We help a lot of you do that. <laughs> Your lives are screwed up because of bad decisions. We love you. We're here for you. But I'll tell you, it's a lot better to make sure somebody doesn't get sick than to have to get them healed after they get sick. Somebody say amen. That's the point of the program. So I want you to consider this program for your kids. I want you to tell others about the program. Talk about it. Uh, open your home. So many people to consider open your home to uh, host students that will be coming from out of town. Uh, again, talk to Pastor Joe. If you've got a, an extra room or something, say, man, we'd, we'd love to open that up. Uh, and maybe others who are financially off and, and would be willing to consider donating to the scholarship fund for this. Uh, it's not free, but it's not horribly expensive, and it's a lot less expensive than sending them off to a $35,000 a year school, I promise you. So, uh, the other campuses, now at this campus, we'll have Joe and, uh, and some of the guys will have a table out 
there. The other campuses, uh, you know, go online, check it out. You can call here, uh, leave a message for Pastor Joe. Uh, he'll be happy to call you back and answer any and all questions that you will have. But uh, I'll be talking more and more about this for the rest of this uh, season as we get ready going into next year. All right? Now, kind of in the context of that, I want to start a series. Now, this series won't be in order because there's lots of other things we need to talk about throughout the year. But uh, I want to talk about, start a series, what I call Faith 101, which is what you saw on the chalkboard on the screen. And I want to answer some of the basic uh, questions of faith because recently we did a survey among our young people and to ask whatever questions. These are like, you know, junior high kids and stuff. And they asked some questions that I thought were... Personally, I got upset when I saw the questions. And I barked at my children's and youth leaders say, come on, guys, aren't we answering these questions to these young people? It's one of the reasons we wind up with this mess. And they looked at me and said, Pastor, most adults have these same questions. <laughs> I thought, oh, okay, well, we need to focus on this stuff. Here's the problem, and it's a challenge. Oftentimes, those of us who've been Christians for a long time have had these fundamental questions answered a long time ago. And we just assume most people know these things. And it's kind of shocking how many people do not and how much they struggle with it. Uh, one of the challenges oftentimes as a pastor, you know, people who are growing in their faith want you to give them more and more insights and more and more insights. So they start complaining, I'm not getting fed, which you should never say, by the way. At some point, feed your own stinking self, all right? Uh, but as the church grows, we got to keep going back and revisiting the fundamental truths of the scripture or they're never going to grow. Okay, that's why at some point you need to worry about more about feeding yourself. Don't worry about pastors. I'm giving you some great insights and uh, feed your own little self. Okay, so we need to go back. And even, some, even in doing that, oftentimes we skip over some of the basic fundamental things. So sprinkle throughout the year. I want to we'll see how far we go along with this. But I'll answer some of these just real basic questions. Today's question is this question. Why does God allow bad things to happen? It's one of the big questions that they had. And I think it's seriously, they're wondering about this because... I was taught this stuff a long time ago. Apparently, our young people are not getting this. And then I was starting to find out how many adults really struggle with this idea. Why does God let bad things to happen? Because we don't talk about these fundamental things. Uh, I want to read to you from Luke, the 13th chapter, verse 1. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. If you know what that means, that doesn't mean they had a sacrifice and they took a little blood and they mix it into a cup or something. What it meant is that he came and he killed them. They were sacrificing, worshiping God, and as they're giving, and then Pilate comes and he slashes them all to pieces and they all got killed and everybody was freaked out about this horrible event, much like we are about horrible events today. Oh my gosh, why did that horrible thing, these ISIS guys, you know, why did they do what they did? Uh, so Jesus answered. Do you think that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. And then he says this, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then Jesus makes another reference. He says, or oh, those 18 guys who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. That's a bad day. You're standing there. Splat! All of the tower falls over and it kills a bunch of people, 18 specifically. He says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. One of the greatest misconceptions that people have about faith, fundamental that they have escaped learning, is that they think God is behind everything that happens. He is not. People ask questions, why did God let my son die in that car wreck? Why did God let all those people die in that earthquake? 
Why did God let my 90-year-old granny get sick and die? We hear these things all the time. Why did God let me lose my job? Why did God let Fluffy get run over by a truck? Why did my boyfriend break up with me? <laughs> Why did God do that? Why did God let those planes fly into the World Trade Center? Why did God let those ISIS guys behead all those Christians? The list goes on and on from the very mundane and silly to some of the really serious questions. Now, if you don't understand the answer to these basic questions, then life will be filled with one crisis of faith after another. And it is stunning how many people, they really struggle with these things. Why did God let this happen? Why did God let this happen? Now, in Luke 13, what we just read, people were wondering why some of those terrible things had happened. Was it because they were sinners? Was it because they were guilty of something? In other words, they were saying, did God have something to do with it? And Jesus' answer was no. And then he warns them that <laughs> worse things would happen to them if they didn't repent. Now, why was Jesus' answer no? Because everything that happens on this earth is not God. We live on a planet where free will reigns. And there are two forces that try to influence that will, but cannot break it. The two forces are good and evil, or more directly stated, God and Satan. But it's a huge mistake to assume that God and Satan are the only forces at work on this planet. See, people will at least reckon, well, there's God and there's evil, and they forget there's a big force in the middle of all of this. It's called people. People, people who do things that people do. It's called free will. Punch your neighbor. There you go. Why did God let you do that? It wasn't God. It was your neighbor. Hopefully, they didn't do it too hard. People in this world choose to do good as influenced by God or choose to do evil as influenced by Satan. But it's even more than just simple good and evil at work. The Bible talks that there is also smart, as defined in the Bible as wisdom, something we want to teach your young people, how to make the right decisions. There's smart. And then there's stupid, defined in the Bible as foolishness. Now, almost all bad things that happen in this world are a combination of people who choose evil and or stupid. Are you keeping up with me here? Very fundamental, but you're, I'm stunned at how many people don't understand this stuff. Whereas most good things in this world are the result of people who choose good and smart. You know, historically, much of the uh, success that Western culture has enjoyed over these last few hundred years uh, in Northern Europe and in the United States has come from what historians call the Protestant work ethic that emphasized wisdom, being smart, learning what the scriptures say about how to live life and about doing good and working hard. Now, the reason they call it the Protestant work ethic, not to slam Catholics, is just that the Protestants felt that this is how you really uh, live out whether or not you're truly living by faith. If you're doing smart things and working hard and doing good, 
This is a sign of your faith. Whereas those of us raised Catholic know a lot of that emphasis was more about, you know, attending church and sacraments and that kind of thing. Well, the Protestant work ethic that dominated these countries and these tended to become the wealthiest countries on earth and still to this day. Now we're starting to lose it because we're losing that work ethic and we're slipping back just into paganism and narcissism. It'll eventually destroy the whole lot. But all of this came from this idea of being smart and doing good things like working hard. Again, something that we want to teach our young people in our transition program. Our whole point is to show them that God's word tr is true. We want to teach them one fundamental thing. You will reap what you sow. Something most people today have no concept of. People have no connection between what they do and what they get. What they get, it's just not fair. I don't know, how come? Why is it? Hello? If your life stinks, it's because undoubtedly you are doing stinking things. And we want to emphasize and to show them that life is not random. Life is not about the lottery. Life is not about getting picked on American Idol to be the one singer. Woo! All right, everybody's waiting for some lucky thing to happen. No, real life happens on purpose. Everybody say on purpose. That's what it is about. You want to succeed in life? We'll show you how to succeed in life, but you have to do it. So most of what people experience in this life is a direct result of what they do, not of what God or the devil did to them. There are people who are hyper-spiritual, in my opinion, lovely people, but a little crazy. I've been in these homes. You know, all of a sudden the wind will blow and the screen door will go, shush, bang, close, and they'll go, oh, I think the Lord just entered the building. <laughs> or I think a demon just left. I've heard it all. I'm on the camera, I'm not kidding. I remember once being in a donut shop in Austin, Texas. When we were in Austin, I was with Joe. And, uh, I guess I how to say this nicely. There were these two very large ladies sitting there talking to me about the Bible. And I'm sitting there, and they're explaining to me how fasting is really more an attitude of your heart than about whether or not you eat. To which I'm thinking, I can see that. All right? Now, I, of course, I start saying, come on, you guys. Because I, I've always confronted this. From the time I was 18 years old, I knew crazy is crazy. You know, stupid is, stupid does. Which some people don't even understand what that means. You know, and, and you try to explain to them, look, that's not what the, and I'm sitting there and I'm in a t-shirt, okay, and in the South, the thing with the South, they always laugh about how cold it is up here. Have you ever been in the South and gone into a restaurant? You'll freeze half to death. It's like a meat locker. You go into a movie theater, whenever we go to movie theaters, I bring a jacket with me when I'm down South. Everybody's sweating, I'm walking, oh man, it's going to be freezing, and sure enough, I was like, man, you want to be that cold? Move to Green Bay. Good night. We'll do it for free. So a stupid restaurant, it's like 800 degrees below zero, and then with the air, air conditioner just blowing full blast, and I'm just shaking. And Warren Girl says, I can tell by the spirit you have a demon sitting on your shoulder, and it's making you shake. And of course, the more she said that, and the harder I tried not to shake, the more I shook. I said, no, it's just so freaking cold in here.
God is not responsible for people who choose evil and or stupid. And this is what I want you guys to understand. Why were those people slaughtered by Pilate? Well, for sure there was evil involved, but probably a little bit of stupid. Pilate generally did, these rulers generally didn't go around and randomly kill people for the point of it. They probably did something that really ticked him off. Probably said something they shouldn't have said. That would be in the stupid category. If you live under a regime where they tend to kill people for saying certain things, best you watch what you say. In America, we're free to say whatever we want, at least still. It's getting less and less, but uh, who knows what happened. But God had nothing to do with it. Why did that tower fall on those people? Probably stupid. Whoever built the tower, let's face it, you build a big old yo mama tower and it falls over, you're a moron, all right? You did something, somebody did something wrong. They didn't put a right foundation, they didn't think it through and splat. Now, obviously those poor people that it fell on, that was a bad day for them. (laughs) And they just got caught in the middle of it. The point is not everything that happens is God. It's absurd. So the question arises, are we to live out our life as helpless, random victims of evil and stupid? The answer is no. First of all, we can practice good and wisdom and have good results. And secondly, as people of faith, we can ask and invite God to intervene into the affairs of our lives and to protect us from evil and stupid. As you just prayed, deliver us from evil. We should add, and stupid. All right? That's what prayer is for. And I am convinced, Pastor Joe, Pastor Latham, I'm I'm just convinced that one of the main reasons people do not pray is they don't understand this. They think everything that happens is just God. God just does everything. And if God does everything, why would you pray? Right? For example, I don't have to pray. We don't need to have a big prayer meeting tonight. We don't need to gather all the campuses together and let's all pray and gather together and hold hands and pray tonight that the sun will rise tomorrow. Because I'm pretty sure whether you pray or not, it's going to rise. It's just a law of nature. Well, people take that into all areas of life. It's probably why they don't pray. They just think God's going to do everything. God's going to do everything. God's going to do everything. God isn't going to do everything. That's why you want to invite God to come into the affairs of your life and intervene. Then God shows up and starts changing things for you. That's what prayer is for. Prayer causes God to intervene in the affairs of people. You say, well, why didn't God intervene in such and such? Probably because nobody prayed. It is true. The Bible even tells us there's things God wanted to do but wouldn't do it because nobody would ask him to do it. Why is that? I don't know. Ask him. God is God, and he has certain principles in place, like laws of physics, like gravity. I step off of here, I'm going to fall down. I don't care how spiritual I am. There are laws, and one of the laws is that you want God to intervene, you have to ask him to intervene. And you have people who never pray and never consider God and everything, and then just... Then just the laws of nature and evil and stupid kick in. And that's not a good place to be. Why did God let my son die in that car wreck? My guess is God had nothing to do with it. Might have had something to do with your son driving 85 around a curve that said 25. Now, I feel for you, and it's been horrible, but, you know, and kids do stupid things, particularly boys. I remember 
when my daughter got her driver's license and we added her to our insurance policy, it didn't change hardly at all. When my son got his license, the policy jumped dramatically. I was so angry. I'll never have so That is so unfair. That is so unjust. That is not right. About 18 months later, I said, boy, do they get that right. I'm telling you, that kid, he smashed it here. He smashed it there. He scraped this. He knocked. Would you pay attention for the love of God? He finally totaled my BMW. That little snot, where is he at? Totaled it. Then I thought, that insurance thing was, they gave us a break. <laughs> Why did my daughter die in that? And I don't want to mention, hopefully you don't know anybody and this isn't happening yet, because I'm not referring to anybody. Honestly, I'm not referring to anybody specific. But these things happen. Why did my daughter die on the back of that motorcycle? Well, probably because she was drunk with some boy who was drunk, driving God knows how fast. And now you're mad at God? Why did God let my 90-year-old granny get sick and die? Because she was 90 years old. God had nothing to do with it. That's what happens. Why did God let me lose my job? I don't know. Now, could God be, if you're praying, intervene in ways that are uncomfortable sometimes? Yes. I tell you, the way God has directed me, the reason I'm here today is because of a lot of other things in my life failed. And he directed us. And sometimes you lose your job for a reason. God's trying to put you somewhere else. But sometimes, just because you work for a jerk, evil and or stupid, what do I do? You pray and ask God to intervene. That's what prayer is for. And by the way, if you want to keep your kids safe, pray for your kids. I will never forget the night my son totaled that BMW. I was praying. I said, God, get his attention. Protect him, but do whatever you got to do to get his attention because he was being one of these squirrely teenage punks. And, and I mean, I prayed. And I'm talking, not, not see a lot of people pray, oh God, I hope nothing happens to them. That's not prayer. You, you hearing me? The kid goes out on day, oh God, I hope they don't kill themselves. That's not prayer. Prayer is getting down and asking God, specifically making business with God and praying and talking to him and asking him to protect people in your life, to bless your life, to bless your job, to bless the company you work for, whatever. Ask God to intervene. God answers prayer. And the reason people don't get answers to prayer is, quite frankly, they don't pray. And I'll never forget that night. All of a sudden, I got a call. Dad, what'd you do now? I totaled the car. Totaled. Phil, do you know what totaled means? I think so. I just... I, wife, wake up. Phil crashed a car. He says he totaled it. Who knows what he did? Finally got out to wherever. When we saw the car, it looked like an accordion. I mean, when I, you know, they talk about how your knees give out. First time in my life I ever felt my knees give out when I saw that my heart just stopped. Oh my gosh, where is he? Surely he's beat up terribly. All he had was a little tiny scratch on his head. Everybody who'd seen that cannot imagine how he could have not been seriously injured or killed. Why didn't he? Because I believe God intervened. Also got his attention. Started taking his faith much more seriously after that. Why did God let Fluffy get run over by a truck? Because <laughs> God hates Fluffy. That's why. <laughs> 
Fluffy is so obnoxious. Have you noticed Fluffy? God had nothing to do with it. You let the dumb dog loose. Why did my boyfriend break up with me? <laughs> All kinds of reasons there. Why did God let those planes fly into the World Trade Center? God had nothing to do with it. I will say that we have some incredible testimonies. I've heard of incredible testimonies of people who had sons and daughters that were supposed to be in that building that day, who they routinely prayed for those kids. One of them goes to our church. He was supposed to be there that day, and for some reason he wasn't there. It's called God intervening. That's why you pray for your kids and not just, oh God, I hope he's okay. Why did God let ISIS kill those people? It's called evil people. It's just called evil. God is not responsible for everything that happens. And for the record, neither is Satan. Most of what happens on this earth is just a direct result of the choices and actions of people. That's why we need to teach people, be smart, do good, follow God, seek after wisdom, and by all means, avoid evil and avoid stupid. That's why most things happen the way they happen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, I pray for people this morning that struggle with these things. They think that you're behind everything. God, help them to understand these things. That we live in a world where free will reigns. That's the way you set it up. We choose. And if we live in a situation where people choose badly, bad things happen. And help us, O oh Lord God, to intentionally choose good, to choose wisdom, and learn to pray, to ask you, to invite you to come in and intervene in the affairs of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.